This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Live. Geekside Nation. Geekside Nation. Nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another amazing episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia, and I have with me my amazing co-host for tonight. This is on a Sunday night. We don't normally do that, but um, yeah, Brittany, how are you today? Well, I've told you the full story, but right now my throat is good, so let's hope that keeps up. Had a pretty good day, just being a sickly little small bean. But besides that, I'm excited for the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. You were saying, oh, I know I am channeling Joan right now, buddy. Absolutely. It's a, listen, I for some reason, fall under flack of some of the things that I say, because now you're getting on me for saying absolutely, and Kelly always gets on me for saying perhaps. But you know what? I just guess I have a few words that are the common words in my vocabulary, and it just happens. Deal with well, it. But anyway, you're multiple. You're malleable. Something like that. Let's just go with what you said. But... <laughs> We have an awesome top 10 for you guys tonight. It's a bit of um, a unique one. Brittany and I were kind of workshopping it a little before we went on air, and I'll uh, explain a little bit more of it before we get into the actual top 10. But it is the top 10 heartbreaking relationship moments in TV and movies. And as you all know, Friday was Valentine's Day, but... We don't need happy moments for this Hallmark holiday. We're going to talk about heartbreaking moments. And so that pretty much just means that whether it's a couple breaking up, uh, there being a death of one of them, just anything that involves a couple and it was tragic and heartbreaking, whether it be their relationship entirety or specific moment, we're just going to roll with it. I feel like I have a good list. Brittany said that she had a list before we went on, hopefully. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my longest lists I've been able to do before a podcast. Like, sometimes there I'll wait go. until last minute and go, oh, God, what have I done? I don't know anything. And then other times I'm like, okay, I'm prepared. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I feel like we can have a lot with this list, um, even if, say, the title is a little confusing, at least to me. I was. You should have been in my living room yesterday, Brittany, because it was literally me, Holly, and my mom trying to workshop how to, like, come up with a title that properly conveyed what this podcast was going to be about. I know, like, because of the whole, like, the whole question I asked you beforehand, too. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, uh, but before we go any further, because sometimes we seem to have time at the end to kind of promote things, and sometimes we don't seem to have time at the end to promote things. So I just wanted to take a moment to kind of promote a friend of the podcast. I'm sure everyone has heard me talk about 
they call this a movie over at the main Jamie, but they also have a D&D podcast called Stranger Jamies, and Brittany's really into Dungeons and Dragons, so that kind of is cool that we're playing along with this, but make sure you check them out. They air every Wednesday, and if you are a D&D player, you know what that's all about. I'm not, so I'm not going to pretend that I even do, but please check out Stranger Jamies every Wednesday, and check them out on Twitter, but let's get this list started. Brittany, what's your number 10? I think I was looking at the list that I think, even though they're highly tragic, I'm still going to go ahead and put them. Because you know how sometimes we're just going with the top ten, but it's technically for each of us our top five, you know? Yeah. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go with Glenn and Maggie from Walking Dead when Glenn mm-hmm. dies. Oh, yeah. That that is definitely yeah. Because you're at the Walking Dead, you're sitting there, and you have Glenn, who's been exactly uh, you know, the love of her life this entire time. Who's been around since the beginning. He's always playful. He's always you know he's different. Like even Herschel didn't like him at first, and Maggie's pregnant. They're happy. They're gonna have a family together. And it's going to be great, right? Well, then you have uh, you have Negan coming in, grouping them all up, sitting there going, okay, he's going to only kill one. And so then, then sorry, my throat started to hurt halfway through that sentence. <laughs> but uh, then you have uh, you know, Negan lining them all up saying, oh, he's going to just kill one, right? Well, then he does kill one. He kills Abraham. And you're like, okay, it's fine. It's good. You know, this, it's fine. Even though it wasn't fine. Because Tia was so upset over Abraham dying that she literally didn't watch the series for, like, the next, like, month or so afterwards. But then you have freaking, I can't, well, I can't remember his name, Dale. Daryl, 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 Daryl. I have the flu. I've had the flu since Tuesday, Tia. I have the excuse. But, um, so, you know, Daryl has to step in and try to be big dick in this situation, causes a fuss, and then Negan's like, you know what, I'm going to kill a second guy. And then freaking kill Glenn. Love of Maggie's wife, like father of her child, her unborn child while she's sick, and he gets his fucking brains just like splattered everywhere. So yeah, there you go. Most tragic number five, number ten, whatever you want to call it. I just, I was like, I was destroyed. Especially as someone that came in around this and then went back and watched and knowing what was going to happen, it made it all the more tragic. I couldn't imagine watching it from the beginning and then getting to that point. Oh, sorry. I was taking a drink. I thought you were going to keep talking, so I decided to take a drink of water 
And then it's like, oh no, Brittany stopped talking. Shit. Um, but yeah. I had that moment too because you know Aaron's leaving back to go back to work, and that right before he left, he handed me vitamins to take, and I was like, not interrupted, must continue. <laughs> But, um, with, oh, God, we need to go back to Sunday morning. So Sunday night is a shit show so far. But anyway, oh my um, God. I did watch The Walking Dead since season one, right? Like, albeit that I didn't watch, like, I didn't watch it when the show first came out, but I watched from literally episode one up until season seven, episode one. But, like, Glenn and Maggie they, that couple, that, like, they were the couple, you know, they had each other's back, they were in love, um, you know, if they got separated, it was all about, you know, getting back together, and their shit, even when, say, they had problems with each other, it always, they always, like, loved each other, it didn't feel like a, um, whatchamacallit, a Rick and Lori situation, where, But, you know, like, where you could tell that they just didn't have that strong of a love for each other anymore. Like, Gwen and Maggie had that. So, it's like, not only were they both able to find love in such an impossible situation, but they were going to have a child. Which, I mean... (laughs) Having a child in the middle of the zombie apocalypse always seems like a bad idea to me. <laughs> just, just saying. But. Oh, I know. I would freaking panic. I would yeah, panic. Well, it was definitely better though for Maggie because at least at this point, like before that, they were in Alexandria. Lori was literally just like in the middle of a prison that was getting overrun by freaking zombies. But so the whole point though that I'm trying to get is like they fucking loved each other. They were going to have a kid. And then not only is Glenn killed, but it's not like he's killed because he just got shot. Like, his eye popped out of his freaking head. And what did Maggie he say? Says, I love you, Maggie, or something like that? No. He goes, I will find you, or something like that. Like, find her in oh the afterlife. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm triggered. I'm triggered, <laughs> It's so heartbreaking. And so, yeah, that whole scene is definitely tragic because I try and sit there and imagine being Maggie and imagining seeing the person who you love being fucking bludgeoned to death right in front of you and not able to really look away at that point. That's just horrible. Like, that's torture. It's unnecessary. And it's the reason why I hated the opening to season seven that it was just an hour of freaking nonstop torture, not only for the people in the show, but for the people watching the show. But I digress. I, I somebody say that Negan is such a monster. They go because first off he kills your favorite characters, but then he's so fucking good. You can't like hate him, hate him. Like you start to like him and you're like, no, why? Why? I mean, I I hated him since day one, but we all know that you loved him. But you um, like and I have Negan. You can't hate Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Not Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan's fine, but Negan definitely should not have been forgiven as much as he was <laughs> forgiven 
Uh, and it seems like people forgot, like, what he did. He didn't just kill. He, like, beat people and freaking smashed their brains out of their skulls. That's wrong, Brittany. That's wrong. <laughs> you know what? Not sorry. <laughs> oh God! Don't make me laugh. It hurts. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I think that uh, what you want to call it. That's a great way to start off this list because I mean, shit. You know, you're talking about if you talk about like great freaking couples in TV history. London Maggier it and I feel like I don't I don't know the actor's name, right? You know, like for either of them, so I can't so I can't say but those actors did such a great job and clearly had amazing chemistry with each other that they were even able to convey that type of love on screen, you know? Yeah. Like they felt very real, especially in a show where you can't hump. I, I know that like I, I shame every time. Oh, I know. I think that shit was like the best ever. Um, like what you calls it that uh that John Bernthal sitting there and saying that he was getting yelled at in his sex scene with Laurie because he was thrusting his hips, but because the network is AMC, they were like, no hip thrusting, <laughs> no hip thrusting. Does that you make Shane and Lori be a tragic couple? No. No, Lori's just a bitch. But anyway, really quick, really quick before I move on. Speaking about AMC, it all, like, ever since that John Bernthal interview was out, I've had that in the back of my mind when it comes to AMC, right? And as you know, one of my favorite shows of all time, Halt and Catch Fire, was an AMC program. And whenever there's a sex scene between Joe and Cameron, it is, like, the most, like, still sex scene. They're, like, completely, like, still, but they're panting, right? And it's so odd-looking, but then you sit there and you're like, oh, because it's AMC, they can't actually move. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so, no. it's so it's weird to have a specific You might as well not right? even do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, like, it's just for weird television. Anyway, great uh, job in starting this whole shebang off. I'm going to get the next one. And so I'm going to explain this, right? And there are so many, like, tragic moments and heartbreaking moments, but it's, like, kind of heartbreaking, but then also kind of, like, I don't know how else to kind of, like, explain it, right? But as you know, Brittany, another one of, like, my favorite uh, shows ever was Sex in the City. Okay, so... Oh, it was? For... I would never have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's just how it is. You know what I'm saying? But... I know what you're so, saying. Sex in the City was in, on HBO, right, and blah, blah, blah. I'm not even going to go into all of it, but you have two characters in it, Carrie, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, and Mr. Big by Christopher Doss, right? 
and yeah. they constantly and they constantly go back and forth throughout the seasons. You know, they're together, they're not together. At some point, um, Carrie's with someone else, and they have an affair together, and blah blah blah. But it's always like because uh, Mr. Big is so so complicated, right? It's like they're together, yeah. but he's been but he's been married already, and he doesn't want to get married again. And Carrie, like, okay, well, you know, I do want to get married one day, so we can't be together, right? You know, blah blah. blah. And this happens a few times, and then finally, this is all the setup, right? And then finally. Yeah. Um, Carrie decides to kind of like talk to Mr. Big and, you know, be like, oh, well, we're adults. We can at least be friends, right? Blah, blah, blah. And at this point, Mr. Big is with someone, like with someone else. And Carrie's like, you know what? Like, let's only agree to talk about significant others, um, you know, unless they're like serious. And he's like, Carrie, it is serious. We're going to get married. And she like, you know, like has a moment where she's just kind of like, this is bullshit because our whole relationship, you said that you didn't want to get married and it wasn't that you didn't want to get married. You just didn't want to marry me. And it's like, Ugh, right. That's yeah, entirely so sad. But to me, one of the heartbreaking moments, and it's kind of like also like quote unquote, like uplifting as well, but I still felt like it was so, like heartbreaking at some point. Uh, so then Mr. Big and his uh, fiance, whatever, I forget her name now, they're going to have like a, a bridal shower or, or a, what is it called? A rehearsal dinner. And yeah. they invite, and they invite Carrie and Carrie decides not to go, but she's with her girlfriends, the other women in Sex and the City. And they are talking about the movie, the way they were. And they're talking about a specific moment in the movie where the main woman kind of comes to peace with the fact that the man that she loves is going to be with another woman. So Carrie kind of like thinks about that and kind of applies that to her whole situation with Mr. Big. And she goes to the rehearsal, but it's over at this point. So Mr. Big like steps out and he sees that Carrie's standing there and he goes up there and he's like, you know, you missed it. And she's, and they have this like really like tender moment with each other. And she like reaches up and like pushes aside his hair. And she says the quote from the way we were. And she's like, your woman is lovely Hubble. And he's like, I don't get it. And she's like, and you never did. And she walks away. And, no. I, don't like, <laughs> and I don't know why. It's just so, like, heartbreaking because it's like, you know, like, Carrie loved Mr. Big. And Mr. Big was just so freaking, like, complicated. But in that moment to kind of be, like, strong and kind of be, like, the adult and the bigger person to be like, you know what, you deserve to move on with this other person. And I deserve to move on in my life and not hold this like candle and feel a certain way about myself because you didn't want to marry me, you know? And so that's my pick there. I know that was like a huge. Well, that's freaking heartbreaking. Thanks. (laughs) I I should have known beforehand when we started this that I was going to be sad, but I didn't know I'd be this sad. Well, it is called uh, the top 10 most heartbreaking moments, but 
Yeah, I know that was a lot of backstory there, but it is the Mr. Hub, like, you know, the Hubble part pretty much is what I would count for this list. So, uh, yeah, Brittany, what do you think? <laughs> I like it a lot because not all relationships end in a happy ending. And I think everybody's felt that heartbreak before where you felt like this person is the one and then it ends up not working out and you have to see them love another person. And I think I think that's really hard and even to see it in a show is heartbreaking. But I think why it's so sad is because it speaks to us on that level and just being able to feel that emotion. But sometimes it's kind of nice because it gives people that closure that maybe they can see that moment and go, you know what? I feel I feel her because Tia has a saying that everything okay you know how there's like rule 34 which is that if it exists there's porn of it on the internet there needs to be a rule something for sex in the city for like if it exists there's a sex in the city quote that will go with it we're seeing when it comes to relationships and life, there is always a Sex in the City moment to refer back to. But, yeah, I What mean, episode it, was this? Oh, really quick, what episode was it that I said, oh, I'm surprised there's not been this kind of episode? And you said, actually, there is. I don't remember what it was about, but I just sat there yeah. like, oh, my God, what has life become? I completely forgot what it was, but you were laughing because you literally were like, oh, it's hilarious that there's no Sex in the City uh, reference that you could pull out. And I'm like, wow, since you mentioned it. Yes, there was. Um, There was. was Goodness gracious. I was going to say that it's true because the, the scene that I also referenced within that whole thing that is also equally heartbreaking is when they are in, because they're in a restaurant when they're kind of just talking like civil people. And she does ask, and she knows at this point that he's dating someone and she's kind of like, well, you know, tell me about your girlfriend. And he goes to try to tell her about it. And she's just like, no, stop. Let's just talk about when, it gets serious, you know, whenever we're doing something serious and when he reveals that it is serious and this is someone that he is going to marry, I mean, she's just like, she she makes a scene. She makes a scene. But it's like you can almost, you can almost like feel that. You're just like, you know, I, I feel like any anyone can, can understand that. Really quick, before we move on, I will always say that this is what, this is one of my favorite scenes in Sex and the City is with Samantha, completely unrelated. I'm just going off on a tangent. Once I start with Sex and the City, I can't stop. But it's when Samantha finds that. And Samantha is, mind you, the girl in the group that is the least attached to relationships. Like, she has just, you know, promiscuous sex with anyone and everyone and, like, doesn't give a shit. She pretty much, like, mocks the rest of the girls for even getting into relationships but she gets with this guy Richard who's totally on her level but she finds him like sleeping with another woman and Samantha's one of those people that it's like she doesn't love often but when she loves it's intense 
So she gets so pissed that she literally is putting like flyers around Richard's neighborhood with his picture on it saying cheater. And this woman cop, and it's important that she's a woman, this woman cop goes up to Samantha and goes, you know, you can't do that. You can't put these posters up. And she, and Samantha goes, this man said that he loved me. And then I caught him eating out another woman. And the, and the cop just looks at her and goes, continue on. And she just freaking oh walks God. away at that point. You know what? Good on her, right? Good on her. <laughs> She's like, I feel you on that. Carry on. But yeah, that's my number nine. It was a whole convoluted mess. But for those out there who've actually watched Sex and City, you feel me. But Brittany, yeah, yeah. What's, your, what's your number eight? Let me look at my list here. I was so enthralled with Sex and the City that my brain <laughs> As went. you should be. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go ahead and go with... Um, like Aaron actually suggested one for me because I had a really long list, but I said, "Can you think of one?" And he said, "Why not Deadpool and Vanessa?" I think that's her name, right, oh, Vanessa? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do two. One of Deadpool two. This both those scenes from there, but when they're finally together and you see that they're so happy. And then, like, you know, and that was all he wanted in Deadpool was to be with Vanessa, right? Well, Mm -hmm. then, you know, when there's that whole scene where he's not quick enough and she gets, she gets shot or stabbed? I can't remember because it's all in slow-mo. But she ends up getting hit. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say? I think she gets shot. No, no, it's a nice. It, it, no, 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 it's with the knife that the guy throws the knife, and he's not quick enough. I think that's what Okay, that's that's what I thought. But, you know, um, yeah. and um, I was trying to sit there. Oh, but, you know, she dies, and that's the whole thing is that, you know, he's so freaking depressed over it. He even tries to kill himself, but obviously, you know, that can't happen to him, even if he blew himself into grows, right? Well, yeah. it's just, uh, I'm trying to find the words for it. It's just so depressing. And honestly, Aaron never hardly ever cries, but we both sat there. That ending scene, whenever he could choose to truly die because, you know, he had gotten that, uh, he had that collar on that would let mm. his powers be nullified and that any death would be permanent. But sitting there and Vanessa saying, like, you know, this is your family now. You know, you know, we're family, but I'll be here waiting, basically. And somehow Domino finding, like, the four-digit code, and she goes, let me try, puts in a random digit code, and it suddenly <laughs> works. I just thought it was really sweet. It is very touching that, you know, because even in the comics, Deadpool's whole thing is that he's in love with death, but he can, like, with Lady Death, but he can never reach her because he can't die. So that's how I kind of feel like Vanessa's supposed to represent Lady Death in the movies, and it's tragic that for a man that can't die, he could never be with his lost loved one. 
but him just finding his moment of moving on because he has uh, he has cable and he has you know and cable passed on being able to go back to you know do all of this and he has Domino and he has the boy and he has uh, oh what's his name oh metal dude but Colossus I yeah Colossus and uh, what's her name. Uh, a negasonic teenage warhead. Yes, yes. And just knowing that he has all of them, I just thought it was really sweet and tragic at the same time. It's bittersweet. I agree that I think that Vanessa was supposed to be representing Lady Death. And that whole thing was really sad because I didn't expect that they were going to kill Vanessa off because she was a pretty, like, badass chick herself, right? And, but I guess that was supposed to be how the whole event of Deadpool 2 starts and maybe what the people behind the second film kind of wanted to accomplish with Vanessa, because he's with Vanessa, right? So then it would be a little odd, I guess, to then introduce, say, Lady Death. So it's like, why not just give Vanessa the concept of Lady Death? And I like that where he could have chosen, but isn't it that she kind of pushes him away? She kind of says, like, I'm here, but your time isn't here just yet, so just go. But, you know, we'll we'll always be here for when you, you are here. You know what? That's really freaking sad. <laughs> but, I, but I think it's, like, almost he can visit, because remember all those times when, like, they had that gel, like, between them gone mm-hmm. and they could he could actually go there but that was at the end but when he's still like where he can't fully die that veil is like that barrier still stuck between them I did really like <laughs> that their relationship definitely was something that to me was really enjoyable say in the first movie and I think that it was really because that's the thing that's really like interesting about the character Deadpool is that he is very joking around and he's really nonchalant about things and he, you know, obviously kills a shit ton of people. But Deadpool really is this really complex, complicated character who uses obviously all of this humor to mask how broken he is on the inside and he truly loves Vanessa that wasn't a like I'm just using this this girl as a booty call it was totally him just being in love with Vanessa and his and it's just so crazy like and it is so serious right and we don't realize it because you know he can't die and it's a jokey movie and all of that but he literally tried to kill himself because Vanessa was dead and that's really sad. And it is a very heartbreaking, uh, tragic moment in Deadpool 2 that made for like a series of tragic moments whenever they were able to see each other afterwards. Well, now I'm still sad. I always say that after every single one of these about how bummed out I am. Well, Brittany, it's the heartbreaking relationship moments in TV and movies, so prepare to be sad, always. Thanks a lot, Tia. 
like this topic. <laughs> we could have done like a nice like Valentine's where like things are happy and sweet, best couples. But no, we had to do tragic because Tia hates Valentine's Day. I do. It's a Hallmark holiday. So why should we have happy moments? Let's have tragic moments. But anyway, um, <laughs> I did really like this entry just because I love Deadpool and I'm hoping that, I mean, they say, Ryan Reynolds says that Deadpool 3 is in production, not production, but it's in the works, right, at Disney. And who knows if any of the other characters are going to get switched over into the third one. But hopefully we'll see another scene with him and Vanessa. But great pick here, Brittany. I'm going to get the number seven. (laughs) You're going to laugh, right? Because, uh, you know, this is something that I've been binging for the entire weekend. And I figure, hey, why not? But so, (laughs) Narcos... Narcos Mexico came out with his second season on Thursday, and I have literally binge-watched it about three times um, in, what, four days? And so it is very... Get some help. It's very much in uh, fresh in my mind. And I guess I should say spoiler alert for those who haven't finished Narcos Mexico season two, but I do have to say if you haven't, what the hell are you guys waiting for? But anyway... So oh, my this, God, it just released, Tia. It just released. Most people aren't crazy like you. Um, Most people binge, Brittany. Like, that's the thing, all right? When The Punisher Season 1 came out, you actually finished it before me, okay? So let's not even sit here and kid that people don't sit right. there and binge once, like, something comes out on Netflix, all right? Anyway, um, so my my pick is between the characters Pablo Acosta and Mimi. So Pablo Acosta is one of the Plaza bosses um, in Narcos Mexico. In season two, it's revealed that he met this girl Mimi, who is this American from Texas, and they love each other. So much. Like, their relationship is so cute. I can't even help myself when it comes to them. But so he is a plaza boss. So he is in the drug business. He is a member of that. But he's so totally different than, like, everyone else. I mean, the way he acts and behaves, he's all about honor and respect and um, having, you know, admiration for others and contributing like you find to me it's so not like how it was with say Pablo Escobar who was building churches and schools but you could clearly tell that he was only doing it to like you know uh, cause a distraction of all the money that he has like Pablo Acosta they explained that in his village he did build uh, the roof for a school he paid for like some girl's eye surgery or something like that so like he's a good guy just you know, a bandit, as he likes to say. A bandito. A bandito. I love that. I love it. He's like, I'm a a bandito. (laughs) But there's at some point where he is kind of realizing that he doesn't want to be a part of Felix's organization anymore. 
and he wants to get out of it, but he, while he wants to get out of it, he is not a snitch, right? Because he's a bandit. But so he doesn't want, even though Walt offers him a full immunity pass, you know, on behalf of the DEA, he decides instead to go, and this all like ties into it, but he decides instead to go to a newspaper and say everything that he needs to say to a newspaper so that they can publish it, which pretty much makes him public enemy number one, not only for the cartel, but you find out also for, like, the FBI and shit like that. So at some point, Why would he do like, that, he wanted to take down Felix, and he felt that the way to do it is just by exposing everything in a newspaper because, you know, the DEA and people who are in the government may have buried that, but at least by putting it in the newspaper, it's out there because it's different, you know, it's free press. So he puts that out there. He puts that out there, and at some point he is in his village and everything's fine. He feels like he's protected, but Walt comes, and Walt tells Mimi, like, we got to get him out of here because while the DEA wants him alive, the FBI doesn't. They're going to come, and they're going to fucking come hard, and they do. Literally, the FBI comes with, like, freaking helicopters and ends up shooting up the place. And so at some point, Pablo um, Acosta is holed up in this house with the FBI and the, like, federal people all there with their guns drawn, and Walt manages to get into the house. And he has this whole thing with Pablo Acosta where he tells him, like, hey, like, I have right here in front of me a full immunity paper that says you're going to get this, you're going to get that. All we need to do is cross the freaking river onto U.S. soil. He's like, here, he's like, yes, they have the jurisdiction. But as soon as you get onto American soil, you're in my custody, you're safe. And Pablo's like, as soon as I step out of the freaking house, they're going to freaking shoot me. And Walt's like, listen, Acosta, he was like, you have to do this. He's like, I'll stand literally in front of you. And at first, like, Acosta is just like, no, I'm going to go out on blazing. And Walt's like, man, you say how much you love Mimi. He's like, and Mimi's fucking pregnant. And at this point, Acosta didn't know. And so Walt's like, do this shit for your kid, right? So Walt, so then finally Walt gets out of the house. He, he's like saying how this guy's in his custody. He's going to bring him to safety. And Acosta's literally behind Walt with his hands on his shoulder, right? And they're walking and everyone has their guns drawn. Everyone's like ready and shit. And Walt's just slowly walking. They're like, all we have to do is get to the freaking river and then we can cross and everything. And you see like Pablo like stop. And Walt is like, what are you doing? And he's like, tell Mimi, I'm sorry. And he's like, get down, Walt. And Walt's like, no. And he literally pushes Walt out of the way and goes to draw his gun. And he just gets fucking annihilated with bullets. And as that's happening, and then as that's happening, freaking where all the civilians are being held back, there's Mimi just crying because she's watching the fucking love of her life being shot up to death. So, yeah. He's an idiot. How can you so sorry for someone that does shit like that? I know. Yeah. I know. I'm ruining your throat now by how yeah, like worked up you're gonna did be. Did you hear me go forth and then start hacking up a lung? 
No, seriously, but to me it's like so tragic because it's like if you watch the series, like their relationship, they really truly loved each other, and it's like all Mimi wanted was for him to get out of the game and be safe. And Walt wanted that, too, after getting to know Acosta, after getting to know Mimi. He's like, and he literally had the paperwork with him, the paperwork that said, like, you get full immunity. You'll be able to live your life with Mimi. And Mimi's fucking pregnant. And then he just gets killed, and Mimi's just standing there just watching it all, and it's so sad. So that's my my part. I know you haven't watched Narcos Mexico season two, but what are your thoughts on what I just described? It's stupid. It's so freaking stupid. Why? Well, he's a bad her. Don't say sorry. Don't say, oh, tell her I'm sorry. Don't tell her yourself. You literally could have had an entire life with her. You could have done everything. Don't give me sad faces. He could have done. I'm gonna literally. I'm gonna die. Thanks a lot, Chia. I I just thought it was really sad, just because it's like, yo, you didn't have to go out that way, but you kind of knew that he was gonna go out that way because in season one, Acosta told Amato, he goes, "I've seen my end. It ends with me in the middle of a shootout." I don't care what he saw. Don't care what he saw. I'm mad, Tia. Can you tell? <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. But so I won't get you any uh any more work stuff over my pick, but just for those who are listening and may have watched Narcos Mexico season two, my whole thing is Mimi and Acosta because they literally are the only two that matter in that season. I'm joking. Walt matters as well. He's a whole yeah, bag of tragedy on his own. But as a couple, yeah, no, as a couple, like, only Mimi and Acosta have rights. But um, whatchamacallit, Brittany, what is your number six? Let me look at my list again because it's kind of like, do you ever have so many that it becomes a moment where you're like, God, I don't know which one's better. Let's go with I'm gonna go with Frank and Karen from the picture slash Daredevil season two. And I don't have a particular moment itself. It's just that they're tragic because they never actually I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna change it. What is what is Frank's wife's name? Maria. Frank and Maria, I'm gonna do because this whole freaking series is because well, not the whole series, but you know, Frank Castle lost his wife and his two children. And just wanting to be with her. And he gets shot in the freaking head over it. And he keeps having dreams about her. About waking up to her in the morning. And having to relive her dying every single time he has this dream. And then when he wakes up, it, you know, right at the end, it's him that's pulling the trigger. And it's because he blames himself so much for her death. But... The tragic moment I'm going to go for 
is, I think it was at the end of Daredevil season, I mean, not Daredevil, Punisher, I get confused, because, you know, Daredevil was basically season one of the Punisher, but in season one, where you think for sure he's going to die, and he's dancing with his wife in his Marine uniform, and they're sitting there, and he's holding her, but he can't be with her yet, and he gets his last bit of strength to do what he needs to do. And they're so freaking tragic because you know he still loves his wife like crazy. For him, at first, there was no other woman but her. And that's why in like, Punisher Season 2, when he's with that one lady, I was like, oh, shit, we have character development. But it is still so sad that it was like Maria was his dream wife. You know, they fought. And as he told Karen, you know, that him and his wife would, you know, just rip each other apart verbally. But, you know, she was always there. And that makes me sad. Yeah, when you were um, saying about Frank and Maria, instantly the scene that came into my head was the one where Frank was pretty much at the brink of freaking death with um you know, uh, Agent Orange and Billy Russo, and they have that, first of all, I just, I love the music in that scene, I just, it always stands out to me, the music there, and when they're dancing, and you can see just how happy and proud Frank is to be Maria's husband in that moment, and how beautiful uh maria looks and then when he's standing there so freaking bloody and the thing that she says is she's like come on frank let's go home and he finally lets go of her hand and he's like i am home and that no. i think you know what that kind of falls into the same uh thing as with deadpool and vanessa is that Finally, the the men, you know, uh, just in the simple fact that both of them are men in this instance, but the men get the opportunity to finally be with their deceased loved ones. But it's in those moments that they realize they are needed more so in the land of the living than they are in the land of the dead, at least for that moment. Like Frank knew that he couldn't just let go in that moment. He couldn't just go with his wife. There was too much to still do. And he knew that at some point he needed to kind of move on. And this was the moment that he realized that it was time to move on. I guess that's why in Punisher season two, we do see him sleeping with that other lady where it's like, he loves his wife so much, but it's like, he knows he, you know, he avenged their death. It turned out to not be his fault, even though, he blinded himself because, you know, he blinded Agent Orange in his one eye, and that was a big thing of why that guy wanted revenge, but it was also because he was outspoken. But that other guy is the one that was, like, like was the whistleblower that uh, punished, like uh, Frank ended up getting the blame for. So I think for him it helped him shrug off a lot of that guilt. Well, yeah, I think that Karen... That also, when you were going to originally say Frank and Karen, to me, the 
moment that instantly came to mind was the elevator elevator moment in Punisher season one where Frank was looking to escape and Karen kind of gave him the ability to get the head start and they're just looking at each other because at that moment it was completely and perfectly possible that it may end up being the last time they, they ever see each other and remember that was the moment that we thought that they were going to finally freaking kiss, and it never happened. They blue-balled us, Tia. That's pretty much what they did in season one and two of The Punisher. But, yeah, the Maria, that's Frank's whole entire, like, backstory pretty much is – the Maria thing, Maria getting killed and his kids getting killed, it set off everything for him. And there's so many, like, if we did a top 10, like, most heartbreaking, like, Frank Castle moments, it would have to be a top 20 because there's so many freaking moments with him. Oh, I know. He's just tragic, but we love him, even though he's angry. But we kind of love him because he is angry. What's wrong with us? That kind of makes uh, makes for more of an allure, is that Frank Castle is always angry. We wouldn't want him if he was, like, the happy-go-lucky Punisher. I mean, true, but does that make us bad people? You, yes. <laughs> whoa, 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 Tia, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, seriously, I, I love uh, Frank and Maria, their whole tragic backstory. It's one of those things where you know it's never going to be happy. It always has it's like um it's uh it's like in fiction, right? Uh Bruce Wayne's parents can never be happy and alive and Uncle Ben can never be happy and alive. Maria is a character that is always destined to die. And that's that's really messed up. <laughs> I know. I do like the scenario, so I think there's been a comic, one or two, where if Bruce Wayne's parents never died, he ends up being, like, a very cocky, um, selfish person. Like, he never becomes Batman, but at the, or he does, but he, he's very selfish, he's very cocky, and I think it's to show, like, even though we hate this, this is exactly why he's the Bruce Wayne that we love. They should do, I don't know if they have or not, so someone correct me if they have, but they should do, like, a special edition series, like, comic, like a three-parter where instead of Maria being the one who was killed, Frank was the one who was killed, and then Maria becomes the Punisher. Like, she just decides Whoa. to take up She just decides to take up arms. She's like, I watched my husband be a Marine this whole time. You know what? I'm going to do it now. I think there was a thing like that. I think where, like, even the kids were, like, little punishers. (laughs) I love that. Like, can you imagine that? Little punishers. It kind of sounds cute and terrifying. Thanks. (laughs) The family that uh, kills together, right? But, um... Yeah, so great pick for the number six. I'm going to pick the number five, and it should be something that, again, uh, like Narcos, uh, no one should be surprised by it. It is um, the – and I guess there's not 
like say a specific moment because they don't necessarily show it on screen, but it's a concept that I absolutely fucking hate. And it is Donna and Gordon Clark from Halt and Catch Fire being not married anymore. Because and I say this all the time I say this all the time. I love freaking Halt and Catch Fire. We did a top ten on Halt and Catch Fire. I try and mention it any podcast I can. Like, we're going to do a top ten, like, MCU shit, and I'm going to find some way to put Donna and Gordon on it, even though... Oh, my gosh, I can see it. But, so, you know, the first, like, three and a half seasons, um, which one calls it? Yeah, like, into the third season, right? So two and a half, sorry. The first two and a half seasons, Donna and Gordon, like, they're ride or die, and she has been there for, like, when those show first starts, Donna is there for Gordon, no matter his failures, no matter how financially they have been set back by said failures, and then the two are still together, you know, no matter what anything like they are ride or die and their relationship is like i'm not going to sit here and say that their relationship is perfect it was far from perfect you know gordon could be moody sometimes donna could be um huh you said you said gordon can be uh, moody sometimes and my brain went huh sometimes well all the time yes all the time no joking (laughs) <laughs> but you know what I mean like they both could be like any which way and so their relationship was not perfect but it was real and they were there for each other and then suddenly the writers thought things are going too perfectly you know what we should do let's off screen break them up that's the thing they, we never see them look at each other and go this marriage isn't working out. We shouldn't be with each other anymore. Because even after Gordon, like, revealed that he had an affair, they stayed together. So there was no, like, on-screen moment where they talked about divorcing. It was just, like, they're together one episode. The next episode, they're, like, time hop, right? And then it's, like, they're talking about how Donna changed her last name from Clark to her maiden name of Emerson. And I'm, like, wait, what? And then it especially didn't make sense because they were freaking, like, still friends with each other. You know, I told you, Brittany. I mean, yeah. they, they said that they loved each other every second that they freaking could, even after they got divorced. And I'm like, you're sitting here and you want me to believe that these two don't love each other, didn't want to be with each other? It's it bullshit. was jarring. So the writers just did it to create some freaking, like, controversy, but... To me, it was just so tragic that Gordon and Donna were no longer together. And it's just, now that I think about it, what's truly tragic is that Gordon died without the two ever having gotten back with each other. And that is what is truly a heartbreaking moment. So that is for me. Uh, Brittany, what do you think about this whole situation with Gordon and Donna? I still don't know why they killed him off. I feel like that's such bull crap because he's like basically the main character. It all built around him having the smarts and being like the prodigy 
to get this all off the ground. I don't care about Joe. I don't care about Cameron. I care about Donna, but only because of Gordon. And then they're just going to kill him off like that? Bull crap. And then you have this moment where the moment where they decide they're going to get divorced or where you assume is right after they've had a great moment and they're in bed together and they talk about camping, about how she doesn't like camping. And I'm just, like, sitting there like, this is bull crap. They should just <laughs> stay together. You know, that's marriage. That's relationships. They have ups and downs. They have been through – I like how they went through the cheating. They didn't – well, again, they didn't know that she had the abortion. But, you know, all these different things uh, – like almost being bankrupt, having to borrow money from her family. And you sit there and you tell me the freaking camping story is the thing that broke the camel's back. Okay, I believe that. I, I do not believe that. No, and it's just, it's, it's so tragic because I, and maybe it's just because uh, Scoot McNary and Carrie Beach just had so much great chemistry for each other. But it always felt like any time that the two of them were having a scene together, even after they got divorced, that they were always at the very tip of wanting them to get back together, if you know what I mean. Like, the only thing that was keeping them apart, the only thing that was keeping them apart was that because they made the decision to split up. And it's kind of like, oh, well, now we're not each other's. And it's like, stop your bullshit just kiss already, just fucking go to the lawyers or something. I don't know what you need to do, but freaking do it. You don't want to be married, then don't be married. If that's going to save your relationship, if that's what makes it easier, then fine. Right, right. right. Like, this whole bullshit was complete BS. And you're right, Brittany. Uh, Like, I love Lee Pace, but honestly, fuck Joe. (laughs) Because Joe, Joe is the worst. Especially in the beginning of the series, Joe didn't know code. Joe didn't know hardware. He was a salesperson. He can tell you why something is so amazing and why the code is so amazing and the hardware is so great. But he didn't know any of that. He needed Gordon to get the hardware together. He needed Cameron to get the software together. And he was pretty much useless, and I didn't care about him and Cameron's, like, relationship because it was always a shit show but Gordon and Donna were my ride or die and I refused to believe uh, ride that. or die and he died stop stop <laughs> um, <laughs> I refuse I to believe that the second half of season three and all of season four happened to me the show and I, and I know that sounds like mess because I love the show as a whole but only uh, two and a half seasons existed for me. Right, right, I agree. Like, you know I haven't fully seen the show, but I'm the same. I, I, like, I would refuse to watch the season where that happened. Well, and also, it's one of the things where Hulk and Catch Fire gets a lot of, like, attention from lists online that's, you know, like, lists kind of like what we do with our top ten, but lists that say, oh, you know, the best shows of the decade or the best shows that, you know, you really need to watch and you probably didn't, and Hulk and Catch Fire is always on it. So it's like 
okay, well, then I saw a few people are like, oh, what if, like, they brought it back? Not that there's a, there are no talks at all of it being brought back, but if there's, say, this, like, type of cult following after it ended, you know, we live in the age of reboots and remakes and all of that, and what if, like, you know, it was decided, hey, enough people are talking about this show, what if we came back for a fifth season? I would refuse to watch it unless you pull some shit, like, Oh, yeah, you know what we said in um, uh, episode seven of season four? That didn't really happen. We were we were lying. It was a fever we dream. It was a fever dream. He's sort of still alive. I don't know if I said this on air or not, or it was just you and I having, like, a private conversation, but I would only accept it if they did some shit, like, sex in the city. Uh, not sex in the sorry. Like, yes. Will and Grace. Like Will and Grace, where freaking they did the worst, the worst ending to the original run of Will and Grace, right? And then they brought Will and Grace back for three seasons recently. And literally within, like, the first episode of the new season, Karen's sitting there. She's like, I just had a horrible dream. What was it, Karen? You and uh, Will and Grace went 20 years without talking to each other. And it's like, that would never happen. She's like, right, that would never happen. Who would ever think that would happen? It's like, yeah, exactly. So that is the only way that I would accept Paulson and Catch Fire coming back is if they were like, oh, you know what it would be really quick? It would be Donna, right, and she's sleeping, and then she gasps awake, right? She gasps awake, and she's sitting there. She's panting, right? And then suddenly uh-huh. Gordon – and then suddenly Gordon rolls over and he's like, what's wrong, honey? She's like, I just had this terrible dream where you and I divorced and you were dating this really weird chick and then you died. And he's like, that is terrible. Go back to bed. <laughs> right, right. I just want to go back to when they were poor. <laughs> that sounds wrong. <laughs> they should be poor. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm sick. I have no filter. I know. <laughs> this is how it is. But um, whatchamacallit. But yeah, so Donna and Clark are my number four. Brittany, I mean, my number five. I can't even talk tonight. They're my number five. What is your number four? I'm going to go with uh, Steve Rogers and Peggy. Oh, that was on my list. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I think it's a really good one, though. At least we can both talk about it. So me and Tia have talked about this before. Because, one, can we bring up really quick that – who? what's his name? Oh, who plays Bucky? Sebastian Sam. Yes, he's been throwing a fit. Because it was like he wanted Bucky and Steve Rogers to be together. And me and Tia both talked about it, about how this has been led up to since the first Captain America movie, where the whole point was that he wanted to be back with Peggy so that they could have their dance and everything be good. And you're going to tell me that you're going to ruin the nice moment between Steve Rogers passing off the shield to I can't remember his name. I can't remember Sam. his name. Sam. I always want to call him Sean. I don't know why. But Sam, passing it on to Sam, 
and you're going to tell me that you don't want freaking, like, you're telling me you wanted Bucky to be with Steve Rogers? Like, I get they're shippers, and that's fine. That's good for fan fiction. But you cannot tell me that he's not just trying to get on the good side of every freaking fangirl and fanboy on the planet who wanted them to be together. Like, I don't know. It's such bull crap. Like, together until the what ends? Until uh, the I ends? Oh, I think that's yeah. what Dan said. Brittany, I can feel the the rant and the rage coming through you, and I love it. Keep going. Ew. I'm going to say I'm sick and I have no filter. That's why I teased Tia so hard about binging her show. But I know everybody binges shows. I just want to give her hell because it's literally my favorite hobby in the world. No, I'm just joking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. You should, you know yeah. what? Stay tuned next week when we have an entirely different co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Good. No, joking. I'm just joking. But, uh, no, it just, it kills me because the whole point was like, if we're going on to the tragic moment, you have Peggy and Steve who have had this lead up of the relationship all the way through the first movie and wanting that dance together. And as he's about to crash, they're talking about how they're going to have this dance. And, you know, what was it? He was afraid of stepping on her feet. And like, he's like talks to her until the very end the very end until he crashes and when he wakes up and you know it's the future and he's realizing you know Peggy's gone which we find out she's not gone I'm just going through all the tragic moments you have him (laughs) meeting Peggy when she's older and she has Alzheimer's and he's explaining the whole story to her and she's understanding and then she forgets all over again and he looks so broken but he puts on a smile and he explains it all over again to her because that was the love of his life and then you have at the very very end finally them holding one another at their home or her home whoever's home because she's like Peggy's holding on to him so tight and she's crying, and he's just holding her. And you can tell, like, I don't think he's crying, but it's just like he's holding her. Like, she was the last person he needed to see in his entire life. Like, the first person, I mean. Like, he just needed this. And she's just, like, gripping onto him a little bit tighter because she can't believe he's there. And then it just fades out. And I'm like, that's what I needed. He's like, he looks so content while holding her. No, I, every scene with, with Steve and Peggy are, is so freaking like heartbreaking because as you said, it's like we have in the first Avenger, right? The, the first Captain America, which is literally called the first Avenger, um, you know, they have their their uh their first kiss, right, as they're go as he's going to the plane. And then he's in that little jet thing. And then it's like what he says, I'm gonna have to put it in the water. And she's and it's like it's so obvious that he's 
he's going to die, right? And he tries to start talking about the dancing, and she's sitting there because she's trying so hard to, like, keep it all together. And she's like, well, don't you be late. She's like, you hear me? You show up. And he's like, yes, ma'am. And she's like, and then all of a sudden it goes like static. And it's so sad. It's so unbelievable. Yeah, you're right, completely, 100%. Like, freaking that scene in The Winter Soldier gets me every time. Because you would never expect, first of all, that, like, Peggy would still be alive at that point. And so she's old, and it's like, oh, they're talking, right? Like, it's it's cute. You know, it's bittersweet, obviously. But it's, it's cute, you know, that he's sitting there talking to her. And all of a sudden, when she just sits there, and it's like a complete, like, blank slate. And she's like, oh, Steve. She was like, it's you. You're back. We never thought we it would be possible. And he's like, oh, well, I had to, you know come and see my best girl or something like that and it was just so freaking sad it's like oh come on oh no, she passes away oh i hate that in civil war when he gets the text message she went in her sleep and he's just like holding the casket and trying to keep it together so hard i'm just like oh stop <laughs> Well, I hate myself. Can I start over? Can we do something happy? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a no from me, dog. Exactly. But seriously, like, that that was my thing. I did get, like, overly pissed at Sebastian Stan for that shit. Like, and it's so funny because I saw his Instagram that he posted this thing with him and Anthony Mackie, you know, promoting, uh, you know, the Captain America, uh, what is it called, the Falcon and Winter Soldier show, right? And yeah. I'm like, oh, doing doing double duty to make sure that you still get that paycheck, right? Oh, no. I like Sebastian. <laughs> I like Sebastian Stan still. He just, uh, he, he needs to think that one through, all right? Just because John Boyega. Just because John Boyega and Oscar Isaac decide to say something doesn't mean that you get to say something. They're done with Disney. You still are with Disney. Uh, or maybe not anymore. But anyway. Um, Whoa. I know. <laughs> the shippers are going to come for me. Uh, but listen, it's always been Peggy and Steve. Like, since day one, his whole thing has always been because he had a dance with Peggy. How, like, it's the same thing, right, with Tony. His his, uh, last words in the first Iron Man were, I am Iron Man. And his last words in Endgame were, I am Iron Man. So then you have Steve's story ending with him dancing with Peggy is a perfect callback to the first Avenger when he's literally, like, in the middle of Times Square going, I had a dance. So it's like, come on, man. How could you see it being any other outcome other than freaking Peggy and Steve getting back together? The answer is you can't. What did you say? I said the answer is you can't. You can't see it going any other way. 
Exactly, exactly. So I love this 100%. Um, I'm going to get the number three. I realized, Brittany, um, that you actually got two of mine because I originally also on my list has Frank and Maria. And I just guess no, I didn't realize sorry. it. <laughs> No, 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 no. I came up with another one for my number one that I actually think is pretty freaking heartbreaking. Anyway, number three is going to be a specific scene, and it's going to be in Avengers Infinity War between Gamora and Peter Quill. And it's going to be, you know... You know, their relationship, it's always been, like, Gamora kind of resistant to Peter because she's gone through so much shit in her life, and her heart isn't open to this big idiot named Star-Lord. But clearly clearly she decided to give in to her feelings at the end of of the Galaxy Volume 2, and in Infinity War, they are a couple. And she tells him you know, that she's going to need him to kill her if Thanos ever gets a hold of her. And that is something that, like, no one wants to make the freaking decision to do with the, the love of their life. But then eventually in Infinity War, Thanos gets a hold of Gamora. And as he is holding her, you know, Peter Quill is pointing his gun up at Thanos. And she's like, no, Peter. She's like, aim that at me. And he's like, how could you even ask me to do that? And she was like, please, Peter, please. She was like, you promised. And it's so heartbreaking because doesn't Thanos like push her ahead? He's like, go ahead, boy. She said, you know, you promised. And he's just like, and Peter at this point has lost everyone else that he's loved, right? His mom, you know, his stepdad, uh, Yondu and everything. Like, he's lost a lot of freaking people. And now he's supposed to pull the trigger on Gamora. And Gamora literally says, like, I love you. I love you with everything, right? So it wasn't even one of those things where it was, like, still an unspoken thing. She literally said, like, I love you. And he pulls the trigger, which is probably, like, the hardest freaking decision of his freaking life. But then it was bubbles because Thanos had, you know, what was it, the Infinity Stone that can alter reality. And then oh, Thanos, the reality well, stone. Right. So. And, then yeah. Thanos, <laughs> and then Thanos, regardless, fucked off with Gamora and ends up throwing her off a cliff anyway. So it's, it's just tragic, all right? It's tragic and it's heartbreaking. So my scene is for the Gamora and Peter Quill moment in Avengers Infinity War. You know what? That is a really good one. Because I think for such, like, a tough character, like, okay, speaking of which, I would have never thought that Star-Lord, you know, or Peter could have gotten the will to uh, actually do it. But it's crazy that... Though he loved he loved her enough to be able to do it because he knew that he had promised her. And when he goes, I told you to go left, or did he tell her to go right? Oh, I think one of those. And, and she's just looking at him like, please, Peter. 
And I'm just like, oh, my heart. And at first I was like, Santa's came out. I'm going to kill your daughter. You know, and sitting there, and then it's like, oh, okay, it's the reality stuff. But he goes, I like this one. That always gives me chills because I'm like, that's really messed up. I don't know how to feel about this. Which, like, I guess because it was like he had the resolve to do it, and you know how Thanos is about his weird shit like that. But um, that's why I think it's even sadder with the new Gamora or, you know, hashtag old Gamora, but uh, because she is different yet the same in a weird way, if that makes sense. But I guess I just wish that it could have worked out between them. I guess I just want them to be back together like things used to be, but we'll see if that happens. If not, maybe him and Nebula can, like, knock boots. Oh, my God. I doubt it. She would probably kill him, but... Um, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Is like obviously an Endgame uh, Gamora kneeing friggin' Star Lord in the balls was played for laughs, and it was funny. But when you sit about it, it's like, you know, it's not really that funny because Peter literally lost the love of his life, right? Like the woman who he loved, and that version of Gamora loved him. And now he has this version of Gamora who has no idea who he is, is, like, weirded out by the fact that eventually she even gets with this guy in the first place. And it's like, so now he just has a reminder in front of him of the woman who he absolutely loves, but he can't be with this one, at least not right now. You know, I don't know if this Gamora realizes that she, too, loves Peter, but it's still... You know, it's still kind of, like, weird, you know, because it's like, yeah, you're with Gamora, but that's not the same Gamora. Those are two different people. Like, it's it's confusing a little, but it's definitely still it charging is. because no, no matter what, like, Peter's never going to be with a Gamora who he shared those specific memories with, and that's sad. <laughs> are you regretting this list yet, Tia? No, I'm not regretting it. It's uh, my anti-Valentine's Day list. But, yeah, I'm interested in seeing what they do with Gamora and Peter in the third Guardians of the Galaxy because, you know, it, um, whatchamacallit, it, like, it, so we see, at, what I was going to say was we see at the end of Endgame, right, that, the other Guardians are on the ship with Thor, but I didn't see Gamora there, you know? Like, you see the others, but I didn't see Gamora, and I didn't see Nebula. So something tells me those two went to look for her in the new movie, I think. Mm, okay, that's going to be, like, the whole thing? But, I yeah, think so... so. Mm, that's going to be interesting. I mean, I trust James Gunn and whatever he has planned for the third Guardians of the Galaxy, but there, like Peter and Gamora's relationship was definitely like one of my top. I want to say in the MCU, probably like what right under uh, Steve and Peggy. You know, while I like Tony and Pepper, I never felt like that much of a connection. When Stefani ruins it. <laughs> 
Gwen Stefani? Not, not Gwen Stefani. Gwen is Paltrow. Sorry. I got their names mixed up. Same thing. Yeah. No, I'm joking. I'm just joking. No. No, no, no. Exactly. So it's like while I love Tony Stark and I obviously know how much Peter, I mean, not Peter, that Pepper means to him, their relationship doesn't feel as much to me as, say, Steve and freaking. Peggy and then Star Lord and Gamora. So that's just me personally. I'm trying to think of other couples in the MCU. I mean, I guess you have Peter and MJ, but they're like kids, you know, so they they don't have enough time for it to blossom. We have to wait. Yeah, right. I mean, they're still cute. I I'm not gonna sit there and not say that they're cute, but it's not the same. They're they're too young. But anyway, um. So, yeah, uh, number three, Gamora and Peter Quill. Brittany, what's your number two? Let me see. Well, I already know. I'm going to go with Forrest Gump and Jenna, or as we know her <laughs> as Jenny. No, I, okay, this whole movie is a tragic event from us finding about her being sexually abused by her father, who's an alcoholic, and them running away together where she's like, pray with me, Forrest. And she's like, please, God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far away. And she repeats it and repeats it. And he's telling the story. He's like, well, luckily, you know, God didn't turn her into a bird, but, you know, he did, uh, you know, she went to go live with her aunt. Or, you know, there's the tragedy of, you know, where she's doing, like, playing the guitar naked uh, at that bar and him picking her up and, like, wanting to take her away from there because he doesn't quite understand because, you know, his IQ is lower um, because he's a simple man, as as it said. But um, in this whole whole movie is about him wanting to either, you know, what he's doing, about loving her, wondering where she is, them running into one another, uh, where, you know, there's the one where she sleeps with that one guy and she gets on the edge of the, like, balcony to, like, kill herself, but she ends up, like, either second-guessing or losing her nerve and, popping back off of the balcony and just, like, taking the money and going. Uh, her going through her drug phase. Like, you you realize, you know, she's had a rough life. And it's easy to dislike Jenny because all these bad things that she's gotten herself into. But you go, man, you know, it goes to show, like, a child born into those kind of situations that don't really know what love quite is. And... You know, that's why the scene with when the most tragic for me is when, you know, she says something to, uh, like, to Forrest about not knowing what love is. And he's like, you know, I may not be a smart man or something like that, but he's like, but I know what love is. And him just looking at her so hurt and she's realizing yeah, he may not be the smartest guy, but that doesn't make his feelings for her invalid. You know, what the, that love he's held for her throughout all these years. And, you know, 
they sleep together and she's gone and, you know, him having a child with her and, you know, us finding out later on that she has AIDS and she passes away. It's all just very, very sad. Like, we just get punched into the gut over and over again. And Jenny just really had a tragic life. And I just, like, feel so sad for her and just Forrest wanting to be with her. And, you know, when Forrest is so upset when he meets his son and he's like, is he like me? Because he doesn't know how to say. And she's like, oh, you know, no, he's he's good. And he's just so proud and happy and, like, like super tearful eyes. I was like, well, shit, now I'm sad. I'm sad all over <laughs> again. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Ginny uh, and Forrest Gump. Yeah, it was funny yesterday when we were kind of, as I said before, that uh, me, Polly, and my mom were, like, workshopping names for this list and also choices for the list as well. Of course, Forrest Gump and Jenny, like, came up because their whole entire relationship was tragic and it's certainly been I have to say it's certainly been a really long time since I've seen Forrest Gump so my memory of it probably isn't as fresh as yours but I do remember just all of their interactions with each other and that was the thing about Forrest is that he was such a kind soul and as you said when you have someone like Jenny who was born into a situation where the idea of love becomes skewed. It's not easy for her. And you have someone like Forrest who is just willing to accept all of the BS and just love her. And I think for someone like her, that's probably very difficult to accept, right? And yeah. it's like, man, it's like they had a kid and then you have to go off and kill her. Like, what was the point of that? What was the point? I know, and his mom died too. Yeah, it's like, what was the point of killing all these people that he loved? It's like, you, I feel like any other love story would have been like, okay, they just had this really rocky start and beginning where you know, then the forest gives her, you know, the speech like, I may be a simple man, but I know what love is. And like, that would be the turning point, right? And then that's it. Happy, happy ever after. No, then they have to kill Jenny. <laughs> hey, at least the restaurant does good food. The bubble comes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's so funny, that whole uh, scene there, because there's actually a restaurant oh, sorry, in New York City. I forget what the still open or not because I want to say that I've probably never even been there before but it's literally called Bubble Gum and of course it's a seafood place (laughs) I'm going to say of course of course right it would be really ironic if it was called Bubble Gum and they just serve steak it's like okay so I'll get some shrimp and it's like oh no we don't sell shrimp here but it's Bubba Gump, yes, completely unrelated from uh, the Forrest Gump movie. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you see, my first name was Bubba, my last name was Gump, you know, the irony of it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm be like, what? <laughs> what? A missed opportunity here. You could have had shrimp a thousand ways. And, and that would be the thing, though. 
if you really want to do like a legit bubblegum restaurant, in, like the menu literally is just like a list of all the different types of shrimp, boiled shrimp, fried shrimp, shrimp, shrimp stew. Or, I can't remember all of them. There's too many. <laughs> I, I mean, Bubba was, was right. There's a lot of different ways you can make shrimp. I mean, I appreciate uh, the dedication to shrimp. I, too, love shrimp. <laughs> Man, his story was freaking sad, too. They all were sad. Then you had, um, oh, God. Hey, at least what Morris gave money to his mama. Lieutenant Dan, you ain't got no legs. Yeah, oh, my God. This shouldn't be as funny as it is. I feel bad it now. Really, it really isn't. Like, should not be that funny, but you can't help it. I think it's because the way he says it. Yeah, yeah. I saw this thing that was kind of like, if you're an actor and you're in a movie where you're playing someone who maybe is, like, a little mentally challenged, it's like automatically they give you the Oscar, right? It's like Tom Hanks won for his portrayal, and I'm pretty sure Billy Bob Thornton won for like a movie where he was portraying someone, you know, similar. And it's like you do that, and you're guaranteed the Oscar. Oh my gosh, so bad. I know it just got me to thinking that how like movies got away with that at a certain point and I feel like that would never be the case now. I, I'm going to so say I, that wouldn't fly now, would it? That wouldn't fly now, you know? Um, especially if, say, it's going to become more normal where people who say, like, have, who are, like, a little bit mentally challenged are now starting to get into, like, the acting force it's like, why would you then have someone who's not, you know, mentally challenged do that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, why do that, right? Like, we're getting past the age in Hollywood where we're getting people to portray things that they aren't even, you know? It's just... Well, that's kind of like funny. with the transgendered community, how, you know, it used to just be almost like people treat it like a joke or have someone that's not transgender just like male dressing up as a female do the role, but now, like, uh, Orange is the New Black, where we actually have someone transgender who played that role, it's very interesting. It's kind of like Deadwood. Uh, I can't remember her name, but she worked for Al, you know, and she got into a horrible car accident yeah. that left mm-hmm. her a little bit, you know, different than how she was beforehand, and she still loved acting, and she still acted, and she did great as that role. Do you know when I first started watching Deadwood, I forget her name now, I thought that that was, like, say, an able-bodied person just acting like that, and I'm like, shit. I'm like, I know that this show came out, like, 10 years ago, but that is, like, not old enough for them to be doing that and that be, like, acceptable. Like, I almost was like, I can't believe that this show got away with it. And then when you said that, no, no, the actress is just like that, I'm like, okay, that like that yeah. doesn't make it as that because I really thought that was just like some able-bodied person acting that way and I was like cringing over it 
Yeah, she uh, she got into a horrible, horrible car accident that she was very lucky to, like, live through. And that mm-hmm. uh, after that, that's why she was the way she was now. But she said, uh, I think she was acting beforehand, but she didn't want mm-hmm. it to, like, she wanted to continue acting. And so she just, she decided to take that role more. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I remember cringing so hard with that, uh, with because I literally thought that, as I said, probably, like, three times now, but I just remember watching it, and I was like, how did they get away with this? Although I will say right, with Deadwood, right. I will say with Deadwood, though, they definitely towed the line a little, because there was some real, like, racist shit when it came to, like, Asian people that... I was surprised. I think they're just trying to be historically accurate. Uh, there's a fine line between historically accurate and then like offensive because how some of the ways that they were portraying that character and then how they were treating that character. I'm just saying it surprised me that shit like that they got away with it because 10 years ago was not that old to have something like that and to be accessible. That, but that's just me. But that's just me. But um, the going back to the original, I love Forrest Gump and Jenny. They are certainly the most tragic, and it completely makes sense for them not only to be the number two on this list, but technically you're number one. Yes, we did it. My opinion's the only one that matters. That is the number one now. Goodbye, everyone. Oh, my God. Well, I did have to come up with something on the fly because you took two of mine. I realized. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's perfectly okay. I feel like it's a good one. But hey, let's back. go through. Whatever. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, let's go through the list. I couldn't even come up with something, like, funny. I wanted to, like, say something, and I was like, eh, No. But let's go through the list before we get to our number one. Remember, this is the top ten heartbreaking relationship moments in TV and movies. And, man, we've had some heartbreak over here. So number ten is Glenn and Maggie. Number nine is the Mr. Hubble scene in Sex and the City. Uh, Number eight is Deadpool and Vanessa in Deadpool 2. Number seven is uh, Mimi and Pablo Acosta in Narcos, Mexico. Number six is um, Frank Castle and Maria in uh, in general, I want to say, but specifically the Punisher season one with his hallucination flashback scene. Um, number five is Donna and Gordon from Fault and Catch Fire divorcing. Number four is every moment of that Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter were together. Number three is Gamora and Peter Quill in Avengers Infinity War. Number two is the entirety of Forrest Gump and Jenny's relationship. And number one is, so I did not have this on my list originally, as I said, uh, Brittany stole two of mine and I had to come up with something on the fly. But, But now that I sit here and think about it, it's perfect. And it is, get ready for it, Brittany. You didn't expect this one, but it's another Sex of the City moment. <laughs> no. 
I regret everything. You can have my list. <laughs> nope, no tootsie backsies. Um, so it is from the first movie of Sex in the City. And at this point in the movie, we've had the six seasons of Carrie and Mr. Big ping-ponging back and forth. And finally, at the end of the, of the sixth season, the series finale, Carrie and Mr. Big get back together. So then the movie takes place five years after the end of the series. Mr. Big and Carrie have been together. They are moving into a new penthouse apartment because Carrie at this point is a very successful, um, you know, novelist. She originated as a column writer and then moved on to being a novelist. And I don't remember what Mr. Big does, but he's fucking filthy rich, right? They, they move into yeah. this place. They move into this place in New York City that had to have cost a few million dollars. Like, it is insane looking. So they're together at this point. They've kind of, like, originally agreed that they weren't going to get married, that that was off the table. That was the thing that kind of uh, complicated their relationship to begin with and yada, yada. But then from talking uh, with each other, they decide that they are going to get married, that Mr. Big will you know, marry her because it's different with her and they're going to have a small wedding. Well, it goes from, throughout the course of the movie, it goes from being this small wedding of just 75 people to this massive wedding of a couple of hundred people, right? And it's just getting so much. So you have that, right? And on top of that, and this is important for the scene that I was going to do, on top of that, you have Miranda, who has had her own back and forth throughout the, se- throughout the series with Steve. She finds out Steve has cheated on her. They split up, and so Miranda is just, like, not in a good way at all. And Miranda says, Miranda at the rehearsal dinner ends up bumping into Steve, and that upsets her. And then Mr. Big sees that Miranda is upset. And he goes to, like, console her. And Miranda goes, the biggest mistake that anyone can make is getting married. You know, like, something like that, she says. And Mr. Big already is, like, getting cold feet. So it's the worst thing you want to say to someone. So now it's the day of the wedding. And freaking Carrie has this beautiful dress on. You know, because at this point, like, Vera Wang has dressed her. They're, she's having her wedding at, like, the New York City Library. It's going to be huge. You know, everyone's moving back and forth, you know, all this, blah, blah, blah. And, like, as – and then she gets there, right? She gets to it, and she's like, where's Mr. Big? And it's like, the groom hasn't arrived yet. And she's like, where's my phone? And she goes to get the phone, and – she sees that Mr. Big calls her, and he, she goes to, like, call him back, and he says to her that he's not coming, that he's sorry, he just can't go. And Carrie, like, drops the phone, and she, like, holds her son, and she's like, he's not coming. He's not coming. And oh, no. So, wait, wait, wait. And so they get into a limo, and they're driving off, and just as that's happening, Mr. Big is in his limo, and he's like, what am I doing? He's like, turn the limo around. And so they turn the limo around and they see each other, the limos, and the limo stops. And like Mr. Big goes to get out and he's like, Carrie, I'm sorry. I wasn't ready, but I'm ready now. And she literally is like running after him, 
with her bouquet, and she's just hitting him. And she's like, I need you to do this to me. She's just like hitting him with the bouquet. She's like, I need you to do this to me. And he just goes to try and say something, and Charlotte's like, no, don't you even dare. And they get her back into the limo and drive off. So that's my scene for my number one heartbreaking moment because I saw this movie in theaters because I was a huge Sex in the City fan, and I'm pretty sure I went to go see it with my mom and Cindy because we couldn't wait for there to be a Sex in the City movie. And when that happened, it was like, no. Because we just watched freaking six seasons of Mr. Big Bullshit. And you just thought that, okay, well, finally, they're together. Everything's great. And it's like, no. He pulled the same bullshit that he always pulls, and he left her at the altar. And, like, you could just feel, like, the emotions behind Carrie just hitting him with that bouquet, just like, I knew you were this to me. Oh. But, yeah, so that's my scene. What do you think about it? <laughs> I think that I should have let you have one of yours. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I actually think this is very fitting, Tia, because Tia, for the longest time, has always been, like, the biggest critic of love, and she's just like, you know what my number one is? Sex in the city, where love either super exists or doesn't exist. So you know <laughs> what? I think this is great. This is why this is why Tia has trust issues because Mr. Biggs did this bullshit for six seasons, and now, now, now. No, I'm just teasing about that. But, no, I think it's great. Mr. Big is, like, the epitome of what they say shit or get off the pot type of personality. Like, he literally sounds like, from you telling me about the season, he's hot and he's cold, he's hot and he's cold, he's hot and he's cold, and can't make up his mind. Did they ever end up getting married? Yes. So, after the entire – so, what happens really quick is – after that happens in the movie, because this is a movie that this happens. Um, pretty much, I think it's like a nine-month period goes by with them not having talked to each other. Yeah, because Charlotte gets pregnant at this point. And um, that's like a whole other thing with her getting pregnant. But it's like, I love this scene, so it's just another scene. Really quick, I'm going to tell you about it. But Charlotte, is she tells everyone, right? that if she ever runs into Mr. Big, she has a line for him. She's going to go, I, uh, what is it? Oh, my God. She's like, I curse the day you were born. So Charlotte is out having lunch by herself, and she's pregnant, and she sees Mr. Big at the same restaurant, and he sees her, and she's trying to, like, quickly get out. And he's, like, she's, like, running pretty much. And so he runs after her, and he's like, Charlotte, He's like, don't run, you're pregnant. And she's like, I don't want to see you. I'm so mad at you. She's like, I was always on your side. And suddenly in that moment, her water breaks, and he takes her to the hospital. He takes her to the hospital. So there's all these, like, moments pretty much where it's like, if he takes her to the hospital, and he doesn't stay, like, he stays for her to give birth, but he leaves when he, like, knows that Carrie's coming, and like, Charlotte and her husband tell Carrie, like, that, you know, Mr. Big was here and blah, blah, blah. Like, all these other things happen throughout where she finally, like, 
reaches out to him and agrees to, like, see him. And they have, like, a real, they go to, like, the courthouse. They go to the courthouse pretty much, and she, you know, wears, like, this thrift store dress. The whole thing started with that Carrie was going to wear this thrift store dress. And um, when, like, her publishers got wind of that, pretty much, like, Vera Wang sent her a dress to wear. And it was like, okay, well, you, if Vera Wang is sending you this, like, gigantic, big-ass dress, you have to have a good venue to obviously do it in. So it all, like, started with the freaking dress. So they decide to get married in a courthouse, and she ends up wearing, like, the $20 thrift store uh, dress that she was going to wear in the first place. You know what? I like this one, Tia. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that was heartbreaking, seeing Carrie just hitting him with the freaking bouquet. Huh? Hell yeah. I cried multiple times in that freaking movie. Multiple oh I will give you. I will give you. I will give you a honorable mention. That is also a Sex in the City moment from the movie. You ready for it? For all my oh, no. City, for all my Sex in the City listeners out there, I don't know how many of you are there. Probably none. But if you are there, this one's for you. You guys know what I'm talking about. But so I said, right, that freaking Miranda uh, Steve cheats on her. And so they split up. And then at some point, um, Miranda agrees, like, and this is after Miranda, like, comes out and tells Carrie what she said to Mr. Big, and Carrie's like, you know, why don't you give Steve another chance, like, at least hear out what he has to say. So they decide, so Miranda and Steve decide to go to couples therapy, and they pretty much have this thing where, like, Miranda's like, you know, I'm afraid that he's going to do it again, and Steve's like, I'm afraid that she's going to hold this over my head for the rest of our lives. And so the therapist, like, pretty much says, like, what you guys should do is make a list, you know, pros and cons of being with each other, go two weeks without seeing each other, without talking to each other, pick a date to meet up. And if you guys both show up there at the same time, then you know that you're ready to move on and leave all that other shit in the past. So they decide to, you know, pick a meetup spot on the Brooklyn Bridge. And at first, Miranda shows up, and she doesn't see Steve at first, and she's realizing, like, maybe Steve's list just had more cons than it had pros. And then you see in the crowd, there's Steve showing up, and he's crying, and she's crying. They decide to finally hug and kiss and get back together, and that's definitely another heartbreaking scene. So there you go. I got my second... Sex in the City allotment out for this podcast. <laughs> Your mom messaged me saying I needed to see that movie, and I said, well, maybe when I come to New York next time, Tia, we can watch the movie together. <laughs> it's so good. Not not the second movie. The second movie was crass, but the first movie and all the other six seasons. Fantastic. But, um, Brady, I know that you had a long list. Do you have any honorable mentions that you want to kind of put out there? I was going to say, oh, no, I, like, deleted my list after doing it. Oh, shit. But, uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I'm I'm that kind of person. Uh, let me think. My backups were, gosh, 
I'm trying to think. I had one. I had one that I was like, oh, okay, that one's halfway decent. But I don't know if I can remember it. Uh, I think I had Cameron and Joe from Holt and Catch Fire just because they're so freaking bad for each other, like, to the point of, like, abusive. And I was like, well, that's pretty tragic. So I think I'll put that as one of my honorable mentions. I mean, definitely. I would say that's freaking tragic because, and heart, you, you know what is a good heartbreaking moment? And we talked about oh, this when we were doing, we, we talked about it when we were doing our top 10 Hulk and Touch Fire moments. But the moment where Cameron is crying in the cab with Joe after seeing Joe oh, with his yes. ex And she goes, Are you going to get bored of me too? And he goes, I don't know. Please don't make me laugh. Like the worst thing you could tell someone. It's like, you know, at least be kind and lie a little, but not Joe. He literally just turned around and said, I don't know. And it's hey, like, at least it's the most honest thing that came out of his mouth that entire series. It might have been, like, the most honest thing that he's ever said, ever, because he was one lying mother effer. No joke. I guess what we were saying in Halt the Catch Fire, I'll also say really quick, the scene where Gordon revealed to Donna that he had an affair, just because Donna looked Uh, like she had literally got, just because Donna looked like she literally got punched in the freaking stomach by hearing that. Like, that was so sad to me. And um, we mentioned a little Karen and Frank before, but they definitely, that is a tragedy oh, yeah. that they've not, that they didn't even ever get together. Sorry, I'm just laughing. I'm laughing at it because it's so funny. Jones <laughs> is just like, you're like, I'm sad, and you almost want to laugh about it. Like how sad you are. But, you know, in the end, they are fictional characters, but we can live vicariously through their heartbreak. Right? Right? You know, it's like kind of tragic, but it's creepy, and I'll put this as an honorable mention. I know you don't uh-huh. watch Harry Potter, but like Snape and Harry's mother, uh, which I can't remember her name right now, is that uh Dumbledore goes to Snape and he's like even after all these years and he goes always because his Patronus which takes the form of like like they're unique to each person it took on the form of what his mother's Patronus was like uh, Harry's mom because he still loved her after all these years and I was like well that's sad but a lot of people find it creepy because he wasn't very good to her (laughs) That also, like, that's one of the things I was really sad about um, Alan Rickman, like, dying is because he had a tweet, apparently, and I would have to dig it up, but it was one of those things where he, like, said, oh, my grandchildren asking me when I'm uh, 80, you know, oh, are you still reading Harry Potter? And I'll say, always, or something like that. No. It's like, oh. So tragic. I know, I know. It was sad, right? was so unexpected. He was fairly young, wasn't he? I want to say probably like 60 or something, you know, which isn't, 
considering nowadays not that freaking old, you know. I forget. I want to say it was cancer or something that he passed away from, but yeah, no, oh, that was definitely. Was old. How old is he? I didn't. I didn't realize because he didn't feel so old with the wig and everything. But I have to remember those movies are old in a way. He was. Uh, well, he wasn't as old as I thought. He was sixty-nine. That was it, because I feel like at that point, like, there were a few celebrities that died that year that were all 69, and it's like, what the fuck, is there, like, a 69 club? You know how, like, they say there's, like, a 27 club? It's like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, he, but, had, he had terminal cancer. He had pancreatic cancer. Okay, that's what it was. Um, What else was I going to say? I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, you know what's actually tragic? The scene Who? in the dark, the scene in the dark night. When remember when Batman has to make the decision to go find either Rachel or Harvey Dent, and he goes to the location that he thinks is Rachel, but when he opens up, it's Harvey Dent, and Harvey's like, no, no, and it's like then you just like see on the other side Rachel just like you know, talking, and then suddenly, like, everything blows up around her. That was pretty heartbreaking. That was pretty pretty sad. It was very unexpected. It was very unexpected because, um, oh, and then Rachel, like, heard Batman come in, and she knew at that point that, like, Batman was Bruce Wayne, and I think that she thought that Batman was going to come for her. And it's like, so when Batman didn't come for her, it's like she didn't realize that Bruce had made a mistake or that he was, you know, told the wrong information. She I just thought, thinks that, because the whole thing is that the joke. I think what happened, though, is whenever she hears it and realizes, oh, we ran into Harvey instead, she's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Like, but she, she obviously put on a disappointed. Break. Yeah, she hides it on a brave face. She's about to die, you know, and she didn't. But, like, I think clearly she has to have been, like, you know, as you said, disappointed, like, shit. Um, but that wasn't even intentional, because remember, like, the Batman was given the wrong addresses. He was told that one was Rachel's and one was Harvey Dent. But he had thought that he was going to Rachel's location, but the Joker had purposely switch them, but knowing that he would go for the girl. He's a bad mamma jamma. He's definitely a bad mamma jamma, but um, Brittany, this has been an amazing list, as heartbreaking as it was, as tear-jerking as it was, it's still, you know, these moments are the moments that are crafted so well that we can have such a strong emotional reaction to them and I think that's why we did a good job in going through them but I promise next week will be something happier how about that (laughs) you know what yep I can take that thank you okay perfect now I know that you have been a trooper this whole entire podcast considering that you were sick but please let everyone know what we can find from you and where we can find you. I'm going to say you can always find me at twitch.tv slash itty bitty Brit. 
which is B-R-I-T-T, two T's the proper way. <laughs> but uh, I've been uh, been playing a lot of Tomb Raider. Uh, Visage, which is a terrifying, terrifying game, as I've showed Tia. Um, and also Bioshock. I haven't been able to stream lately, which has been killing me because I've been so sick. But I should be back at it tomorrow normally do Monday through Friday, uh, 9 p.m. Central Time. Um, you can always catch me at Twitter at Itty Bitty Brit Zero, which is where I normally post my schedule. So if something pops up and I can't stream due to sickness, kind of like this time, you'll have a general idea, and that way you won't wait up for me. But, yeah, have a good time with us. Uh, I love Twitch. I love getting to do it. So be good if you could join me. I'm surprised that you didn't go. I did itty bitty Brit zero because itty bitty Brit was already taken. Because <laughs> I, I always feel like I need to explain. I don't want somebody to be like, God, why she throw that number on there like an idiot? <laughs> but um, yes, please, everyone, make sure that you check out Brittany's Twitch account. She certainly is a dedicated Twitcher who uh, goes for hours and doesn't Twitcher. wait until the next day until about 12 o'clock because of all of you fans. But, um, yes, Twitcher. That is what I'm going to call it from now on. But um, I have a few things that we need to promote, so let's go through the list. Obviously, you can find me um, at Twitter and Instagram. TFAB or TC Stark is the username. I do the top 10 along with Brittany every single Sunday. I have a lot of uh, original content on our website, which is deepsidesnation.com. You can check all of that out, and please make sure that you do. And obviously, you can find Deep Sides Nation on both Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even Vero. There's just so many platforms that you can find us for the latest in news, opinion pieces, we do Throwback Thursdays, Flashback Fridays. It's just a whole lot of great content that if you're not reading, you're kind of missing out on. But along with my along with my top ten, we have plenty of other amazing podcasts that you can check out. Geek Five Live, Geeks Against the Grain. We have sports-related podcasts. And then we, have, of course, have our amazing friends of the podcast, our people at Scene and Nerd, Cape and Castle, and they call this a movie. They are all fantastic content providers that you need to make sure that you check out. And you can find it all at our website, which is deepvibesnation.com. Brittany, thank you so much for being here tonight. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. And now we don't have to deal with lovey-dovey Valentine's Day for another year. So kudos to us. Have a great so night, Brittany, everyone. Um, I hope you had a good Valentine's Day, even though the Grinch was here. No, I was joking, but have a wonderful night. See ya. Bye.